Timothy chapter number 3, 2 Timothy chapter number 3 tonight. And uh, last Sunday evening we concluded part 1 of the series, The Faith Once Delivered, and tonight we're going to begin part 2. Part 1, those series of messages, I believe there were four messages if I'm counting right or remembering right, they were all about defending the faith and all looked at the subject of the significance of the faith. But tonight we're going to move on to defining the faith. And uh, the goal of this series is to gain an understanding of exactly what the faith is. In Jude verse number 3, the Bible tells us to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. And uh, we're, we're going through the Bible and we're going to understand what that is talking about by the time we're through. And uh, it's not a faith, it's not your faith, it's not our faith, it is the faith. It is a very uh, a very exclusive faith. And men and women everywhere, they can have faith in all sorts of things, but there is the faith. If you don't have your faith in the faith, then you're not going to get to heaven. That's just how cut and dry the Bible is. And... Um, during the, uh, during the previous messages, as I've already mentioned, we learned about the significance of the faith and the answer to the question, why do we do what we do? I don't do what I do because my daddy did. I don't do it because my grandpa did or my pastor did even. I, I do what I do. The motive behind what I do is a call, a personal call from God on my life. It's a personal faith. It is faith between me and God. Nobody else. That's why I do what I do. I don't do it because somebody else does it or somebody told me it's what I'm supposed to do. Uh, I searched this out. I, I uh, read, I studied, and I, I, I believe in God because of His Word tonight. Yes. And... Um, and so the answer, uh, when, we, when, we, when we say, why do we do what we do? The answer to that question, of course, is for the faith. For the faith. Everything that we do, at least should be, every motive or the motive behind what we do should be to further the gospel message. Yes. That's our goal in life, children of God. If you're saved, you are saved to serve your king. We serve our king by furthering his message. At least that's what we're supposed to do. Amen? And so tonight, we're going to look into the book from which our faith comes. We all know it's the Bible. It's the Bible. Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read three verses or four verses here. Three verses, I believe. Four verses. I don't know. We'll read it. <laughs> the Bible says in verse 14, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14, the Bible says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let me stop right there and just say, I don't believe what I believe because of my daddy and because of my grandpa, but I sure am glad that they exposed me to the truth. Amen. 
I'm glad that I was raised in a Christian school and was taught the truth of God's Word. I don't want to belittle any of that. But what I'm simply trying to say is at the end of it all, it's between you and God. Amen? if If the only reason you're here tonight is because your daddy told you to be here or your grandpa left a legacy or if you're only here tonight because you you heard it was the right thing to do but you don't really know why you're here, then uh, I hope you get some help before we're done. And if the only reason why you uh, are a Christian or call yourself a Christian is because that's just what you've always known, then we got a problem. You understand? And so there's a lot of people that, here's what we call that, going through the motions. Going through the motions is not going to get you to heaven though. Trusting in God personally uh, is what's going to get you to heaven. A personal relationship. That's why I don't ask people, when I go in the jail over there, I don't ask people if they're saved. I ask them how the relationship with Jesus Christ is. They have to think a little bit harder about that. Because everybody's saved. Y'all get what I'm saying? At least that's how it works around here. Everybody's saved and everybody's going to heaven, but they don't... Well, I'm just going to stop right there. Y'all know what I'm... I'm preaching to the choir. So let's get on into this. Verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what it says. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, as Paul wrote to Timothy right here in two very personal letters, it's obvious that the Scriptures were very close to his own heart. It's also obvious that he desired for Timothy to give great attention to the Scriptures in his life. Toward the end of the second letter, Paul asked that the Scriptures be brought to him. In 2 Timothy 4.13, he says, When thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Paul said that the Scripture is so powerful that it couldn't be bound. In 2 Timothy 2.9, he says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even under bonds, but the Word of God is not bound. Here's what he was saying. Hey, they may bind me up. I may be bound, but the Word of God cannot be bound. Amen. Amen. They could do whatever they wanted to Paul, but the Word of God was going to stand. The Word of God was going to outlive Paul. The Word of God is going to outlive the preachers of old. The Word of God, listen to me tonight, will outlive you and I. So Paul challenged Timothy to make the Bible a central part of his study. In 2 Timothy 2.15, the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And you may say, preacher, how much should we study? Well, you study to show thyself approved unto God. I had a man ask me that one time. He said, how much studying do you think we have to do to be approved unto God? And I looked at him and I said, it's never enough. 
You could be 90 years old and been preaching since you were 10 years old and you have not studied enough to be approved unto God. Here's what I'm trying to say. Study the Word. Study the Word. Man, the Bible said here, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. The only way you're never going to be ashamed of the name of Jesus, the only way that you're never going to be ashamed of the Gospel is if you know it. How are you going to go out here and with confidence tell somebody about the Scriptures when you don't know the Scriptures yourself? We must study. We must study. And there's the other thing, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. You know why we have so much problem in our day with people looking at Scripture and they're twisting it and they're cutting it open and they're making it say things that it's... It's because they are not studying to show them... They're not studying to show themselves approved unto God. You know what most of them are doing? They're studying uh, to come up with something cool so that they can have the approval of man. That is not what we do though. It is not what we do as teachers. That is not what we do as preachers. That is not what you do as a layman and a servant of God. We study the Word so that we will not be ashamed. And so that we can rightly divide the Word of truth. And not just, uh, not just the central, Paul didn't just challenge Timothy to make it a central part of study, but also not just the central part of study, but the very foundation of his ministry. In 2 Timothy 4.2, the Bible says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. In other words, everything you do, go to Scripture with it. Preach the word. Don't preach your opinion. Don't preach this. Don't preach that. Preach the word is what the Bible says. Now, the Bible is the most widely circulated book in world history. Yet in recent generations, some have questioned it, they have questioned its accuracy, and others question its relevance. An American, I'll put it this way, I'll illustrate it this way, an American visiting a village in a developing country saw one of the natives there reading the Bible. He walked up to him and arrogantly commented and said, in our country, we don't allow the Bible in schools anymore. That native person looked at this man and said, Sir, he replied to him in his broken English and he said this, If the Bible had not come to my village some time ago, you would have already been eaten by now. Yeah. Many people in our day think the Bible is irrelevant. They question it. They question everything about it. They tear it apart. But I'm going to tell you something. Anything good that we can testify about in our nation and in our world has come from the Word of God. And when we get away from the Word of God, everything goes downhill. Hills looking at you tonight, America. We can see it all around us. When did it all start, preacher? When people stopped believing the Word of God. It's when it all stopped. Though many question the Bible, though many think that the Bible is irrelevant in our day, many tonight can testify how it has transformed their lives. 
Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the Word of God is quick, it is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I love how Adrian Rogers used to put it. He said, concerning the Word of God, he said, it will cut you, but it will cut you to heal you not to hurt you. And tonight I want to look at three perspectives on the Bible. Actually, I'm not going to get all of them tonight. It'll go into the next few weeks, I'm sure. But I want to look at three main perspectives concerning the Bible as we examine what God's Word has to say about itself. And here's the first thing we're going to look at. We're going to look at our receiving of the Bible. Our receiving of the Bible. I think a good word to describe our Bibles tonight would be the word unique. I say that because it's the only book of its kind. There are several features that I would like to point out that proves what I just said. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years. It was written by 40 different authors. Among those 40 authors were kings, military leaders, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, poets, statesmen, musicians, scholars, and shepherds. What a diverse bunch of guys. The Bible was written in many different places at many different times and by people experiencing many different moods. The Bible was written on three continents. It was written between Asia, Africa, and Europe. The Bible was written in three different languages. It was written in the Hebrew, the Greek, and the Aramaic. The Bible is written with many different literary styles. You'll find prose, poetry, historical narrative, romance, law, biography, parable, allegory, and prophecy all in this one book. The Bible addresses hundreds of difficult issues without one single contradiction. Now there's a lot of people out there that will tell you there's many contradictions in the Bible. If you ever come across somebody that is of that opinion, look at them and say, show me one. I haven't met one yet that could actually show it. But all they know it. Well, if you can't show it to me, you don't know it very well. The Bible is a book of great diversity, yet in spite of this, it unfolds a single continuous story and it does so without ever contradicting itself. Don't believe me? Look at the woven tapestry of the Old Testament and how it all points to Jesus Christ. And it does not miss one single detail. It does not contradict itself, not one bit. We have 66 books written by 40 authors over the span of 1,500 years throughout three different continents and it all fits together like a glove. Yes, it does. Praise God. That's a unique book. The Bible has for its main character God Himself made known through the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, the Bible is a unique book, but how did the Bible come into existence? How did the Bible come into existence? 
Now, we often refer to the fact that the Bible's authority must be recognized over the traditions and teachings of mere men. Do we not? We hold to, we're Baptist around here, we hold to the authority of Scripture alone. In other words, I get my doctrine from the Word of God alone. I don't go outside of it. I don't go to creeds, even though some creeds are good. I don't go to a man's book, even though men have some good books. I get my belief, I get the faith from the Word of God itself and nothing else. Amen. Praise the Lord. We do. Thank you, Lord. That's a trait of being a Baptist. Now... So we often refer to that. We, we talk about scriptural authority. But some would say this. They say, well, was the Bible not written by men also? And if it was, then what gives it a higher authority than any other book that is written by men? How would you answer that? Don't say it out loud, but how would you answer that question? By the end of tonight, hopefully you'll be able to answer that question really well if you can't already. God actually went to great lengths within the Bible pages to explain to us how we received it. The Bible has answers for everything. Yes, amen. It even tells us how we got it. Isn't that amazing? God wanted us to approach the Bible with great confidence in its credibility. And so, by the way, this is going to span several weeks. So I'm just getting started tonight, okay? Here's number one. There's three things that the Bible says about itself when it comes to how we received it. Number one is this, revelation. Revelation. The Bible began with a process called revelation. And that term revelation is simply, it simply refers to the act of God revealing truths to human beings that they would not otherwise know. Kind of how Peter wrote about nuclear fission, but he was an unlearned fisherman. A scientist didn't even know what that was until 1932. But yet, Peter uses it. Obviously, he didn't know what he was talking about. He uses it to explain how at some time in the future, God is going to destroy this world. And the ways in which he describes God destroying the world is exactly how nuclear fission works. Paul wrote in the book of Colossians that, that by him all things consist we might say, okay, well that exists. No, that does not mean the same thing. By God, all things do exist. But consist is an important word. Consist tells us literally that He is holding everything in His hands. Uh-huh. Praise the Lord, He is. Do you realize that that is what is going on when it comes to... You know what nuclear fission is? It is the separating of atoms and particles and what happens when that... Well, go home and study Hiroshima and Nagasaki and you'll understand. Look up a hydrogen bomb. You know what a hydrogen bomb does? It splits atoms. And what happens when atoms are split? You know what happens when atoms are not held together? They burn. 
And I get this energy. It's cool stuff. It's bad stuff. But Paul writes about that. Peter writes about that. How in the world would they know anything about that? Well, they wouldn't. I'm telling you, Word of God's an amazing book. It's more than a book. I don't even feel right calling it a book. But anyways. So think about this. Think about this. The term revelation. It simply refers to the act of God revealing truths to human beings that they would not normally or would not otherwise know. Now, consider all of the knowledge you have gained through time. I'm talking about you, okay? Everything that you, all of the knowledge that you have gained throughout time. You can divide how you obtain this knowledge into three basic categories, all right? The first category is reason. The second category is experience. And the third category is revelation. Revelation, again, someone simply revealing it to you. And the most important questions in life are really only answered by revelation. You see, reason and experience cannot answer questions like, where did I come from? Or, what is my purpose for being here? Or, where am I going? This is why it's so critical that God chose to reveal truth to mankind. He revealed truth through His creation. He has revealed truth through our conscience, but He has revealed His most specific truth through His Word, the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us this in verse 1 and 2. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. Now God would sometimes give the words of the Bible to men through dreams. We find an example of that, Daniel chapter 7, verse number 1. The Bible says in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Sometimes he would give, God would give his words through a vision. Ezekiel 1.1 is an example of that. It says, Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chebar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And then in the Old Testament... Sometimes God would speak audibly, like in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, where the Bible says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now the bottom line is this. The Bible is God's words. They belong to Him. They are not man's words. See, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, the Bible says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. You see, the only way God can be known to us, at least now, so see, here's the thing. Did you notice all of those examples came from the Old Testament except for the text that we're in tonight? See, in the Old Testament, God would speak audibly. God would speak through dreams. God would speak through visions. 
But you remember Hebrews, I read it when we started this, this point. He has spoken to us by His Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The Bible says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Bible says in John that Thy Word is truth. Sanctify them with truth. Thy Word is truth. This is how God has revealed Himself to you and I today. The Bible reveals God's person. The Bible reveals God's plan. It reveals His power. It reveals His promises. It reveals everything about Him that He wants us to know. And so the Bible began with a process of revelation. But number two, two, number one, we have revelation. Number two, we have inspiration. See, the Bible was written down through a process called inspiration. First Timothy three or Second Timothy three sixteen. I read it in our text. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. See the the five words there. Now, when when we read this, you you got to take off your Western eyes understanding here, okay? See, to us, when we see the word inspiration, we think. Oh, He inspired me to be a better person. Right? Oh, she inspired me to work harder on that test. Oh, I loved my third grade teacher. She was so inspirational. Right? That's how we look at that. That's not what the Bible is talking about. When the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, when you study the Greek text out, it literally means God breathed. Okay? And it's important that we understand that. Just as when you and I speak, we move our breath across our vocal cords, God's breath moved across the lives of the men who wrote down Scripture. That is what inspiration means. Now just as you breathe out your words, God breathed out His words onto the hearts of men. You think about this and I, y'all just do whatever you want to with it. It blesses my heart to know that in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, when God created mankind, when God created all of everything that we have, all of the animals, He created all of them from a distance. And yet, what did He do when He created man? He breathed into Him a soul, a living soul. Did He not? He breathed into His nostril. And the Bible tells us that He did the same thing. He did the same thing when He wrote His Word. Amen? May not mean nothing to anybody else, but that sure does bless my heart. He breathed life into man. He's still breathing life into all of us today. I said it a while ago, Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is quick. You know what that means? It's life-giving. Think about Ephesians. In you hath He quickened who are dead in trespasses and sin. What did He do? His Word. His Word took us from death to life. 
Amen? Just as we breathe out our words, God breathed out His words onto the hearts of men. Second Peter 1, uh, verse number 20 and 21 tells us this. It says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Somehow God superintended the process of getting His Word into man and then threw that man onto paper. Charles C. Ryrie defined inspiration as this. He said, God's superintendence of the human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error His revelation to man in the words of the original autographs. And you think about this. When Peter writes... We can tell that it's Peter. You could study the writings of the books that Paul wrote. That's why we really don't know that Paul wrote Hebrews. We don't have, we don't have hard evidence that he wrote Hebrews. But when we read Hebrews, it has the character of Paul all over it. Isn't that amazing? It's just like today, y'all. It's just like being a child of God. Hey, here I am behind this pulpit. I have my own personality. I have my way of saying things. I have my way of doing things. I have my mannerism. But yet God is using me to speak the same word as the brother over here who may not get as excited as I do. Who may not say things exactly like I do. Isn't that an amazing thing? And He did that with the writers of the Bible. And not one contradiction. That'd never happen if man wrote it. Because here's the thing. Me and old brother Paul might not see eye to eye on every little thing. Makes sense? Sure it makes sense. Y'all know how it is. Me and my pastor may not see eye to eye on every little thing. But yet, God used these men... 40 different authors and not one contradiction between any of them. It's amazing. It's amazing. We as Shining Light Baptist Church, me as the pastor of Shining Light Baptist Church, me as a preacher of the Word of God and a Christian hold to this phrase right here and we all need to understand what it means. We hold to the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible. Here's what that means. It simply means that we believe that all of the very words of Scripture are inspired. Why do we believe that? Because the Word of God says that. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is the claim of the Bible and so it is the position that we gladly affirm tonight. And what this means is that God gave His Word to human authors. He did not override their personalities, but He did guide their choice of words. And when they had written down all that God had given them in His revelation, they had produced an inspired record of that revelation. God breathed His Word through human vessels, giving the world a perfectly inspired statement of His Word to men. Hallelujah tonight. 
It's just like anything else that God does. I don't know why He uses us, but I'm glad that He does. I don't know why He called me to preach, but I'm glad He did. I don't know why He saved me. I'm glad He did though. He loved me. And He could reach people however He wants to. He don't need me to do anything for Him. But yet, He wants me. I'll never figure that out in my finite mind. But I sure am glad. He's chose to use people. And He used people just like us. Amen. He used imperfect people because that's all He's got to work with. But He could do it all Himself if He wanted to. Hey, He's God Almighty. He could have just spoke. He could have just snapped a finger and there was a copy of the Bible, but He used men. used men. That's such a blessing. So the beginning process was revelation. Then that moved on to inspiration. And that brings us to the third process, which is called Preservation. Because let's face it, that was a long time ago, wouldn't it? You just think about it. From the beginning of the Bible to the ending, it spanned 1,500 years. The writers that began were not even alive by the time the New Testament came about. And yet it all fits together. Preservation. The Bible has been delivered to us through a process called preservation. If the Bible was written so many centuries ago, long before copier machines, long before printing presses, how can we know that we have an accurate representation of what God told those men to write down? Yeah, think about that question. How do we know what we have is accurate? And the answer lies in the fact that God promised to preserve His Word. It only makes sense tonight that if God had the power and went through the great the lengths that He did to inspire His Word, word for word for mankind, then He would also exercise that power in order to preserve His Word. Psalm chapter 12, verse 6 and 7 says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of fire purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Revelation 22, 9 says this, Then he saith unto me, See thou, see thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. If you read Revelation 22, 18 and 19, the Bible says, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. You see, God's word tells us, and I don't have time to get into all of it tonight. I'm, I gotta wind down here. But God tells us how His Word is preserved. It's real simple. You know what it is? It is kept by those who love it and obey it. Down through the centuries, He has kept His Word, guess what? Through His people. He revealed Himself to man. He inspired man to write it. 
and He has used man to preserve it. Wherever we find a church, large or small, that is committed to walking in the light of the Bible, we will find a church that takes its stewardship of the purity of God's Word seriously. Amen. As long as I am here in this church, we will take God's Word seriously. For it is our stewardship to pass it down. To read it, to study it, to obey it, to live it, to pass it down through generations. No other book in history has been passed down like the Bible. As a matter of fact, the Textus Receptus or the received text is where is which it, it it is where our English or our King James version is translated from, and I just want you to know tonight that when we look at the Textus Receptus or the received text, our King James version that we use tonight that we hold near and dear to our hearts is in agreement with more than ninety five percent of the more than 5,000 known Scripture-related manuscripts. Now, that may not seem very significant to you, but no other document in history has that many manuscripts. In other words, when I tell you a manuscript, I'm talking about a copy. Okay? A copy. Some of the greatest books ever known to man. I, I, think the, I think the only next book that has the copy of manuscripts anywhere close to the Bible is Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. And I think it's somewhere around a thousand manuscripts. But yet the Bible has more than 5,000. No other book has that many copies that were passed down through the years. And when you open up your King James Bible tonight, you can be confident knowing that what you read matches over 95% of over 5,000 manuscripts that were passed down through these centuries. Y'all, why am I bothering to tell y'all all of that? You can have confidence in what you have. God made sure of it. Just goes to show you how God has used people to preserve His Word down through the ages. And it's important to know this concerning accuracy. Now I'm almost done, I promise. i got to get this in. It's important to know this concerning accuracy because there are other manuscripts in which many modern versions are translated from. Some of you might be saying, oh, here we go. There's a reason why I believe in the King James text. There's a reason why I use the King James text. I believe the King James text is God's preserved word for English speaking people. Amen? But I don't just say that. I don't just say that because that's what I was taught. I don't believe that because I was taught that. 
Somebody, some, some guys will, will ride around and they'll say, Oh, bless God, I'm thankful for my King James Bible. If you got anything else, it's a piece of garbage. And they can't tell you one reason why they feel that way. Other than that's how they were raised. Okay? I'm here to tell you that that's not me. Here's why I believe in the King James text. It's by conviction. But I don't know about y'all, but I want the most accurate thing I can get. This is very important. It's very important that this is accurate. Right? So let me share this with you. I done told you. Man, I'm going long tonight. I didn't want to go this long. Sorry. I got, I got, to, I got to get through this. So. There are other manuscripts. There's not just the Textus Receptus. There are some modern translations that are translated into English from older, they, they say older manuscripts. They may be older, but that doesn't necessarily mean they are more accurate. Mankind has a fallacy about his thinking. He thinks the older it is, the more accurate it has to be. That is not true in all cases. Now many modern versions are translated from manuscripts called the Vaticanus or the Sinaiticus. And if I'm saying that right, I can spell it for you, but I can't say it that good. But here's the problem. That one I just told you, the Vaticanus, that also comes from the Latin Vulgate, which is also from, you, you want to know who it's from? It's from the Catholic Church. I don't have to do a whole lot of digging into history to know that I'm not trusting anything that the Catholic Church has had its hands on. Especially not when their English translation has uh, the doctrine of penance wrote in it. Works-based salvation. You talk about changing the Word of God. Yeah. But here's the thing. There's evidence that shows that the Sinaiticus uh, manuscripts has had over 12,000 corrections made to it by someone other than the original copier. Now that is a problem if you're looking for accuracy. As a matter of fact, when you open up the King James text, there are certain verses in here that don't make a lot of sense in English. And when you start digging into the Greek or the Hebrew text of it, you find out why it don't make a whole lot of sense in English. What you see is that the English translators were so committed to keeping it as accurate as possible... that it actually does make perfect sense if you just study it. Amen? The problem is nobody wants to study. And the problem is everybody wants a Bible that reads... Oh, I'm, I'm going to get mean for a second. Everybody wants a Bible that reads like a second grade book. And the King James text is not hard to read. The satanic Bibles never needed a revision. You go on Amazon and look one up, you get one. Guess what kind of English it's in? It's in archaic English. It's in that, it's in that old English. It's, I, 
Hey, it's beautiful, by the way. I'm not saying the Satanic Bible is. I'm talking about the English of the King James Version. It's beautiful. The problem is nobody wants to study anything. It's important to know this stuff, y'all. Here's the thing. Many of these corrections where... I want, to, I want you to understand how a lot of these corrections work. A lot of these corrections are from somebody who reads the original manuscript and says, I think this is what they mean. When you start studying versions of the Bible, you'll find certain versions are what's called thoughtful thoughtful. Thought for thought translations. And then you find others that are word for word translations. The King James text is a word for word translation. A thought for thought translation is someone looking at the original and going, huh, I think this is what they meant by that. And if you don't think that's dangerous, go home and look up the message and read some out of it. And you'll see how messed up somebody can be when they translate the Bible based on a thought-for-thought translation. I'm here to tell you tonight that I'm not interested in what someone thought the Lord meant. I'm interested in what He actually said. If God said it, I want to know it. That's why I preach. and That's why I teach. and That's why I study from the King James text. There's a lot more that can be said about that, and I'm sure I will in the following weeks, but I'm done for now. Let me just close with this. I thank God for the Bible. God has blessed you and I beyond our ability to comprehend. He give us His Word. We ought to read His Word. We ought to study His Word. We ought to hold His Word near and dear to our hearts. Hey, you ain't crazy if every now and again you just pick it up and give it a little. That's right. Amen. That's the truth. Yeah. No, you're not. We are blessed above measure. Not every country can have this. Not every country can put that under their arms and walk down the street with it. Or go into a coffee shop and open it up and read it. Or sit on an airplane next to somebody and open it up and read it. Yeah. He's given us an inspired, an infallible, an inerrant record of Himself, His will, and His ways. Next week we're going to look into the reliability of the Bible. But for now, may we take this blessed old book. May we love it. May we read it. May we carry it in our hearts this week. It's where the faith comes from. Amen. My prayer is that it's going to develop us. It'll feed us. It'll lead us and teach us all the way to heaven tonight. Let's stand and bow our heads. Close our eyes. Miss Dawn, come play for us softly. The Word of God. I tell you what you ought to do tonight. You ought to make your way to this altar and just thank God for His Word. Thank God for being so good to us to give us His Word.